there's a column for that A1, A2, B5, B6, A, B9. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We know those are cells. Hello, welcome to our 18th episode of There's a Column for That. I'm your host, author, storyteller, and podcaster, Jamie Beth Cohen. Today I'm talking to Dr. Jeff Levine, who is a director of admissions in the SUNY system. There may be nothing I enjoy more than talking about admissions-related stuff with people who love spreadsheets. This is truly my wheelhouse. Though I haven't technically worked full-time in admissions for many years, I've never lost my fondness for the field. It combines my love of people, my love of parties, and my love of data. It truly was the dream field for me, and staying in touch with my admissions and higher ed peeps brings me great joy. At one point during our conversation, Jeff says, nerdy people in an office with a spreadsheet can work wonders, and really have truer words ever been spoken. My chat with Jeff was recorded on March 11th, and we're releasing it on May 1st. Please remember to wear your mask, Black Lives Still Matter, Joe Biden is the rightfully elected president of the United States, and remember, spreadsheets save lives. Please follow us on Twitter at column underscore pod, and please be in touch. Hi, Jeff. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you live, how you identify, what line of work you're in? Do you have hobbies or passions that take up a lot of your brain space, related or unrelated to spreadsheets? And how do we know each other? Feel free to answer any and all of these questions. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm from Houston, Texas, and um, I currently live in Brooklyn, New York, and which is uh, very different than Houston, Texas, uh, but the weather is getting better here in Brooklyn, so that's good. Um, identify as a male, uh, and I have a, a female partner, is my wife, and uh, we have a wonderful 11-month-old baby Adele, um, who's fantastic, and um, I just put down for a nap. I'm in college admissions. I've been working in college admissions in some way, shape, or form since 1998. And uh, I currently work for a SUNY school uh, on Long Island. And I've actually worked my first year virtually, so it's a little bit strange. I have my hobbies, so I have a couple hobbies. Um, one is probably being lazy. The other one's probably eating sushi. And uh, I also like baseball cards a lot. Um, and What's weird around our um, house is a bunch of framed old life magazines that I've collected too. So I kind of do that on the side. I guess like every five years, I figure I need more. And uh, there's just some sports. There's some like Kennedys. There's um, there's actually just some different ones about religion. And uh, it's kind of all over our apartment. And it kind of uh, fits my uh, wife's crazy motif of just random stuff all over. Um, so that works too. And um, we know each other basically from my wife, Sarah Beth, uh, who is wonderful. And I know, um, I guess she studied in New York where you worked and uh, um, she has really good things to say about you. Oh, that's so nice. Well, I have nothing but amazing things to say about her. But I would also say we sort of know each other through Jewish Zoom racing geography and who knows one, which everyone should check out on Facebook because I feel like that's how we got to interact. I mean, I knew you were her amazing husband and I had heard lots about you, but 
you know, due to life and COVID and whatnot, I have not been to New York in over a year. And uh, yeah, I got to know you online, really. What's, what's really funny about that is, uh, so last year, actually a year ago today, I defended my dissertation, um, at which used a lot of spreadsheets. Now that I have all this free time, and that just kind of opened up uh, when you have a baby, you have a job, and it's like, oh, there's this cool show. So I just started making stupid comments, and it's it's taken on a life of its own. And yeah, it's great. I've, I've met a lot of people, and um, it's fun. And uh, what's interesting is, I think I know Micah from uh, the host from... Um, UT Austin, but he was a year behind me. And so we didn't really interact that much, but I, I think our paths crossed a little bit. And it's, so it's, it's good connecting with him now and some other folks uh, that I went to college with uh, and have some shared experiences with. And, and um, his um, brother-in-law, Will, is cousins with just a good friend of mine from college. And I had no idea. Um, and uh, it's kind of a small world. Yeah, that's the whole point of it, right? And I would also say that this whole podcast is an outgrowth of people on that show some using spreadsheets to compete, some deriding spreadsheets, and you and I sort of connecting on who wouldn't make a spreadsheet. And then I tried to get you to host this with me. And you were like, hey, lady, I have a new job and a new baby. And I was like, that's fine. You can just be a guest. So here we are um, almost a year later having this conversation. Well, I'm just happy to be here. And if I ever need to be returned guest, no problem. <laughs> I do want to ask you something sort of unrelated to spreadsheets, but related to the fact that you're in college admissions and have a doctorate. So when I was doing admissions, mostly in the K-12 arena, but some in um, graduate school and higher ed, there was a lot of talk about how there wasn't really a clear path to being a director of admission. There wasn't, you know, there's some student affairs, like I have a master's in higher education administration. So can you tell me, was this always the plan? Did you feel it you needed a doctorate to do this? I'm just curious, and I think maybe some of our listeners might be too, given that there is a, a large crossover of like my higher ed friends who like spreadsheets who listen to this podcast. So I'll make a, a long story short is um, halfway through college uh, at UT Austin, I called my dad who, uh, he passed away, but he's, he was a wonderful CPA, MBA, uh, and very smart uh, financially. And I was like, hey, dad, I need some money. And he said something very beneficial. He said, go get a job. He's like, I worked in college. Your mom worked on campus when she went to UT. Uh, my mom, I think my mom answered phones in the French department. And um, so um, the next day I was in a club and I got an email on a listserv, which I guess like listservs were still like a new thing then. And it said, hey, I work in the admissions office. There's some openings for the summer. Um, and I applied and they hired four of us from the same club. It was a spirit group for the um, baseball team. We dressed up as cowboys and heckled the other team. And we also did community service and we went best organization on campus. But anyway, I worked at the front desk. I um, worked at the general information kiosk and I um, also gave campus tours and uh, worked there for two years. And when I left, my sister entered and they hired her and she also was, she's a higher ed professor um, now. And so it, uh, it led to kind of <laughs> the kids' careers. Uh, but to make a long story short, um, I, I got to be a director. I got a master's in higher ed uh, and um, I was working with uh, a former chancellor. He was chancellor of the University of Houston system, Alex Schilt. Uh, and he had been president of Eastern Washington and a couple other places. And like, just for example, uh, one time we went to class and it, there was a sign on the door, uh, Dr. Schilt is, is uh, consulting for the government of Vietnam on education this weekend, he won't be in class. And so uh, it was very, it was a very interesting experience. But I talked to him and I was like, hey, look, 
I'm at a, like a lower level than I should be. He's like, look, apply for a hundred jobs around the country. You're going to get one and you're going to go there and you're going to do really well. And somebody else is going to give you a chance. And so I, I, I did that. I interviewed um, with Stanford. I interviewed in New York and I interviewed with uh, a small Jewish college in Philadelphia, Gratz College. And I wound up at Gratz and I, I stayed there for a couple of years and I got several other opportunities for that. And he was exactly right. Um, one of the things that I kind of specialize in is more strategic planning for in college enrollments and um, what goes into that and a lot of interaction with the faculty. And as I became kind of more involved, I thought it was important to get a doctorate for a couple of reasons. One is uh, because I was working at a small Catholic college at that time, like, I don't know if like that was translating to like what was going on in the country or the world even uh, in higher ed. And so I needed like a higher understanding of, of that. And like the other thing is just to look uh, reputable in the faculty's eyes. And so they did the work and sometimes they're like, who is this person, even though you have like MED or whatever it is after your name. And so um, it took me a while. Um, finished the classes very quickly and then actually moved for another job uh, across the country and um, ended up moving back to the East Coast. Um, and um, and I, I finished a year ago, exactly. I defended the dissertation. And so it, uh, it's, it's really interesting. But now that I have it and I'm sending out emails to faculty, they respond right away. The provost is like, oh, Dr. Levine. And it's kind of funny because six months before I got the degree, I'm the same person. And uh, but um, it, you just have to jump through hoops. And I think that it's it's okay because I think I'm a better person for writing a dissertation and for learning. Um, the most that I got out of the program were my classmates. And uh, there's just some great folks that I've worked with and I can call some di different folks and have different resources. And I specifically wanted to go around New York City because I wanted international folks that weren't like me. Um, one of my classmates from Nigeria, another one was from Jamaica. Uh, another one was a first generation track star that trained for the Olympics. And uh, it just was a very um, great, another one, she was a softball player at Holy Cross in, um, in college. And it was just great learning from uh, their experiences and, and really le learning how to think at a different level. And, and uh, there's some, yeah, just crazy amounts of work that are expected of you. And so that was something that I didn't um, necessarily expect. But now I'm like, oh, this is easy. We could do this, you know, in five minutes and, and where it would have taken hours beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say that I did my master's in higher ed at Baruch College. So part of the CUNY system. And I would say also my classmates, it was um, my undergrad was a very diverse school, but CUNY, the CUNY system and being in New York City with other um, people, we were all working full time and doing this at night. And so it was all people who were committed to um, higher ed and helping students. And then we would get together at night, do our classwork and, and commiserate. And that was a, a real highlight. So actually, I worked for some people from uh, Baruch and uh, they're fantastic. And I know like their profile has raised a lot um since then and they their their business school is held in really high regard under their public affairs school it's, and um and so uh, yeah that's definitely a good place to uh to get to to get thrown to the fire yeah it was awesome it was awesome awesome okay we'll see how much uh that my husband cuts out when he's editing but uh what well, it was fascinating to me and i'm glad i asked how do you interact with spreadsheets in your work and or your life 
Sure. So uh, for work, um, as a director of admissions, I'm looking at reports and data all the time. And so it's almost every day. There's kind of this point where you're an admissions counselor and you get promoted if you do a good job and you are really good at interacting with people and giving speeches. Um, and then they throw you in a room with spreadsheets and um, they're like, hey, figure out how to do X, which is usually like, hey, um, figure out how to um, use $10,000 to make us a million dollars. And so that's really what a lot of what I do. Um, lately, I've been using them to look for, um, we have like 45 uh, academic programs where I'm at. And so I'm looking to see like over a course of time, different trends, especially in like academic programs we admit a lot of people to, but don't, uh, they ended up not coming. And so I can see like where different points of the year I need to have different programs, whether it's now a virtual information session or different emails or letters uh, and communications to them. And so, uh, yeah, so like I, I uh, figure out how to award scholarships and that's something I've done at several colleges. Uh, and um, it, it's just really fascinating just looking at people's scores and comparing them amongst their peers in different programs and trying to look for ways to help it's been, uh, it's really neat. Uh, the other the other kind of ways um, is in my dissertation, I looked at a lot of different economic um, factors of what's going on, like percent in poverty by state. So I had state level data. So there's all 50 states. <laughs> um, and I just had to make sure they all added up. I looked at um, income uh, levels by state. I looked at political party by state. And I was really trying to see uh, different landscapes and, and what happens in higher ed uh, to leaders. Uh, and I also looked at a lot of institutional factors, so like retention, enrollment, and kind of put it all into one. And um, it was very different, it, difficult because um, I had to learn a new software package. Uh, I used um, Stata and I had learned on SPSS. And so um, I had to like figure out how to put all these spreadsheets in in about six weeks. And uh, after several years of working on the dissertation. And so uh, I did it and uh, my, my dissertation supervisor was very helpful. Uh, but it, it, it got all together and it, it, it um, just allowed me to figure out what was going on. I was supposed to learn SPSS for my grad program. So I did, it was a 10 course grad program. I did seven on site at CUNY and then I moved to Los Angeles and did three virtually, one of which I did through Penn State's program. And CUNY required a like institutional research course, but Penn State only offered like a stats course and like it would fulfill the requirement, but it was much harder than what I would have had to have done. SPSS was what they were using. I never figured out how to use it. And for one of my major projects, I turned it in and the professor wrote back and said, I can't get your data to replicate, but your narrative is compelling. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I was in a, like an advanced quantitative methods class and it was SPSS based and it was very uh, intuitive. Like I, I kind of was lost a little bit like you. And um, I, I like we were in groups for a project and I was like, hey, if you do the output, I'll write the paper, I'll do the PowerPoint. And um, we got an A, so it worked yeah, out. I'm getting an A in the class too. So I think for a group project, someone took on the SPSS. And then for my like individual project, like I just put numbers in and he's like, yeah, I don't think this works, but good narrative. I was like, thanks. Yeah. Um, so I cut you off ways. Are there ways that you use spreadsheets in like your fun personal life? Like, do you have a inventory of your time magazines or? 
<laughs> no, but I should. I, I have spreadsheets of different baseball cards I own okay. just in case like I ever want to check the price and I don't have to like lug them around. Right. Um, we definitely have spreadsheets of uh, where my wife and I want to take trips. Um, we went to Greece um, and uh, I'm really happy we got that in before the whole pandemic thing. Uh, it was fantastic. And uh, what's really funny about uh, just off topic, but in Greece is like every restaurant seemed to just have Greek food. And it was like the exact same Greek salad. But it was fantastic. And like the people are healthy and they're happy. Uh, I think we had Indian food one meal because we found an Indian place, which is great too. But it was like the same food everywhere. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess it's like easy to like order for dinner and um, the food was all great, but it was, it was just very strange. So yeah, I, like normally um, the other thing I would do is I grew up in the food business. Uh, my mom owned a catering business. Uh, it's, I mean, it still does. And uh, my sister and I worked in it extensively. Um, so we keep um, inventory of just like different restaurants that we want to try. And usually I, I just get them on Yelp and search for different cities or read articles about them. My mom also catered all of these little overlaps. Oh, so Were you a guinea pig? Did you have to like eat new things she was trying to make? Yes. And uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was in second grade, my mom sent stuffed artichokes for our lunch and the teacher called um, and it was a small private school I went to. And the teacher called and was like, everyone else has peanut butter and jelly with the crust cut off. Like, and she's like, my son's gonna eat whatever I want, you know, and, and he's gonna try everything. And it was just really funny. And to this day, like I eat weird stuff um, and uh, I've tried different things and I'm just very open uh, to it as well. And I think we're actually, our daughters had like short ribs the other day and um, she's, she's being exposed to, to just things that you might not feed kids normally. Yeah, you're a better kid than I am. I'm the one who traded my mom's homemade baked goods for like little Debbie's because my friends really wanted that home-baked stuff and we had none of the processed stuff at home. So I was out there trading the banana bread. <laughs> but even though I grew up in the catering business, I will say like, I just like sometimes really good like bar food done well. Like if these French fries are fantastic, like that's what I care about. Um, you know, I don't need like a souffle or something, just like do something and do it really well. And Agreed. I, I appreciate Ag it. Agreed. Um, what's the biggest or favorite problem, program, or project you've tackled with a spreadsheet? I would say my dissertation. And um, what was your actual, like, what's the title of your dissertation? So I, I'm going to get it right for you um, <laughs> because it's, I want people to download it. <laughs> um, you can so, send me a link. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yes. So it's understanding the relationship between economic and institutional trends and public university presidential turnover. So basically I studied um, before and after the housing crisis factors that helped um, presidents leave. <laughs> so um, why, why they weren't there. And so obviously there were some good things and some bad things. And one of the main things that I found using all these spreadsheets, throwing it into this data, um, was that if um, your admissions office is more selective and you were actually like getting better at what you did, so you didn't need students, there wasn't, uh, there's was more demand for what you were offering, it actually, they left sooner. And some of it's because they did a job well done and some of it's because they were getting um, job offers at other colleges, universities around the country and, and larger contracts. And so it was yeah. kind of interesting. And that was really the one factor after the um, housing crisis before it was several factors that were contributing. Um, before the um, housing crisis, about 65 presidents were leaving a year and after 95 for all the ones that are four year and give financial aid. So it was just very interesting. Um, 
So is that a document that could help an admissions professional say to their president, you really need me because it's going to catapult you to your next job? So yes, but I I also, um, I also said it like had a lot of implications for like historically black colleges um, and, and the um, others, just smaller colleges too. to really uh, measure how, how you're doing, and and, and uh, but ultimately, um, I just, it, it it means you're accountable as a leader in good times or bad, and and um, you have to kind of model the way and inspire people, and obviously be a good uh, financial manager and and fundraise and all these things, and um, there's so many things that go into it. Uh, you have to be a good politician with folks you interact with through the state. And so it was just very interesting to see that um, leaders, you know, can can be brought down also by like the simplest thing now. If you tweet the wrong thing or um, if you're just um, in the wrong place at the wrong time, which is what has happened to some of these folks that are very accomplished. Hmm. What about the silliest thing you've tackled on a spreadsheet? Probably try to figure out the different blackjack hands. Um, different different card combinations just for fun. Uh-huh. Uh, if I'm just like bored on a plane or an airport, uh-huh. when we used to wait in airports for long times, uh, especially on recruiting trips or going to conferences, and your flight gets delayed or you have to you have a layover at midway. Uh, so, are you a gambler or just uh, for fun interested in how the card game works? No, I, I do like casinos a lot, and I think I have actually been to ones near where you live. Oh. <laughs> and so, and and. Um, yeah, I actually, I really liked Atlantic City. My sister lived in Las Vegas for eight years and worked at UNLV. So they actually lived like next door to a casino, the Green Valley Ranch Casino. And so what was funny is I'd, I'd be, um, I'd fly in on my East Coast time and it's like, I, I used to get up at 5 a.m. So who knows what time it was there. And I'd get up and I have my whole day. I'd go to the casino. I'd play blackjack for a few hours, like with Southwest pilots and had the greatest time or high-fiving each other. Uh, I'd like go eat for free there. And then I'd come back and my, my sister and brother-in-law are still sleeping. And, um, and it was like, I had like two whole days because of just how much time I had that was different than theirs in Las Vegas. Uh, and I actually, yeah, I really, I, I enjoy it. I haven't been, um, I guess now in probably a year and a half, but, uh, it's fun occasionally. And, um, I, I like just, um, talking to other people when you're playing blackjack, even if it's like $5 blackjack, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I come from a gambling family and early in my marriage, uh, my husband and my brother made a wager, probably on World Cup soccer, I'm guessing. And my brother lost and my husband said, I'm not really gonna make you pay. And my brother looked at me and was like, yeah, he's not part of the family. And I was like, you need to make him pay. We don't let people off the hook. So what are the limits of spreadsheets? What kind of problems can they not solve or what projects are they not helpful with? When I was doing my dissertation, like you have these numbers and like you have these factors and they're telling you something. And so sometimes you have to know the story behind the numbers. And what's so neat about it is it could be a few different things. And I think it's for you to um, use the best data you have and tell the story, attach the pieces. Um, and then make it relatable because, you know, I could have a spreadsheet of first generation college students, but what am I doing to help them once I know this information? And, and I'm like, hey, if, for example, 
um, I need to help our Latino population applying because they can't pay all these orientation fees and it's really hard on the family. Like, how can I use this to, to just uplift um, individuals, families, and ultimately society? Yeah, I mean, I think if you don't have a good heart, no data is going to get you there. But if you do have a good heart, data can really help you, you know, move some levers. All right, we've made it to the rapid fire section. Excel, Google Sheets, or something else. Sub-question, Mac, PC, tablet, phone. Lately, it's been Google Docs or Google Sheets, but um, I, I've used Excel the most in, in my lifetime. And um, right now I have PC. Uh, I have had a Mac Pro, MacBook Pro at uh, my last job, and it was fantastic as well. Favorite command or function, and in which program? I really like find and replace in uh, Excel, and it's saved my life several times, uh, especially when I've spelled stuff wrong or just wanted to take a lot of time off of doing um, whatever I'm working on. Yeah, I don't think either in Excel or Google Sheets, um, auto spell check is on the way it is in Word. So I often misspell things in spreadsheets. I wonder if that's a setting that I could turn on because I can't spell at all. And so uh, I do typically remember to run a spell check at the end of an Excel spreadsheet, but I wish it were showing up in real time the way it does in Word. I noticed the word uh, spell check just got a little bit different lately, the new one. And it's like telling you some different things with grammar and it, it always like changes tenses. And, and I'm like, some of it doesn't work, <laughs> yeah. but some of it's fantastic. And I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. My last novel I wrote in Google Docs and it was, it spanned the time, like Google's like sort of grammar check was not very sophisticated. And then it like all of a sudden turned on. And it was like, it kept asking me, I was writing in present tense because young adult novels are often present tense. Yeah. And it kept trying to switch me to like, did, don't you want to say was? And I was like, why would I want to say was? Like, what made you think in a sentence that is perfectly grammatically correct? I want to make it past tense. And so, yeah, I, my friend and I screenshot stupid Google grammar suggestions and send them back and forth to each other. That's fantastic. This, this, this novel I'm working on in Word. So we'll see. We'll see if I, what happens there. Uh, how do you feel about color coding cells or typeface? Or how do you use visual cues in your spreadsheets? I color code in admissions. For example, if our applications, our acceptances, our deposits are up, our registrations, I'll color code them red or green. Uh, if they're kind of close to... Um, zero, I'll color code them blue. Um, just so like, hey, this doesn't really mean anything, no difference. <laughs> and uh, don't get worried if it's like 10 each way or whatever. So that's one thing. Um, I've took a Tableau class um, for data visualization at um, General Assembly in Manhattan, uh, I guess now about two years ago. And it was fantastic. And, and um, I, I took that and I really need to take it again because I think like you can use it just in many cool ways to uh, show what you're doing or, or your results. And Tableau is a separate program that you can import the data into. Yeah, it's not like a function of one of the spreadsheets, right? It's yeah, like it's a separate program. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the one thing about spreadsheets that you think other people might not know? I think that like nerdy people in an office with a spreadsheet can work wonders. There's another guy that I work with who we just like have the same, we just like nerd out about weird things of data that we figure out randomly. We're like, oh, we can do this. We can email this population. And we, we have, we've broken it down to here. And 
like we think we're like the only people in America that are doing this and there's probably thousands, but we're like, we got this. This is like this top secret thing. Let's not tell anyone else about it and just do it. And, and uh, like we're spies. It's kind of fun. I'm going to go on record. I think I may have said this before that admissions is one of those places where you have to like people as much as you like spreadsheets. You talked before about like you're an admissions rep and you're really good at talking to people and you're really good at speaking publicly. I started giving campus tours. That was the first thing I did. But when I was working in private school admissions, you know, the days that I got to close my door and dig into spreadsheets, I enjoyed those just as much. And so um, I don't know that I've ever been accused of being a nerd. I don't have like a hard science, math science background, but I love to manipulate data. And I also love to talk to people. And so um, people in admissions, and I think also my daughter is thinking about possibly party planning or event planning as a, as a job. And I think that's another one where like, you have to be able to dig into the details. You have to care about the details and you have to be out there and be the face of the institution as well. Absolutely. I wear bow ties a lot. Um, and so what it does is it, like I stand out in the crowd and people want to talk to me. Uh, they also remember me. So that like helps with the external <laughs> relations, even though like I might be coming from a bunch of boring meetings or um, or working on spreadsheets or fun meetings. Do you have feelings about CRMs? Yes. And so uh, I use Slate. And I've used that at um, three different uh, colleges and it's fantastic. And uh, it's designed by this guy, Alex from Yale um, and lots of colleges are on it now. I, I would say the majority of the ones that are really doing a good job communicating. Um, I've used several other ones, but I know like Salesforce is held in high regard and I've seen it uh, do some great things. But uh, one of the things we use CRMs for was to, um, do robocalls to students to remind them about registration. And so I recorded a message, hey, it's Jeff uh, from, from this, my college. Hey, don't forget to register. And if you need any help, let us know. Here's some different emails and numbers to call. And what was funny is this year, I don't know if it was because of the election or whatever, but um, students let their um, robocalls go to voicemail and then they would pick it up and realize that it was a message for me and they would be so honored and touched that the director called them personally and they didn't realize like you know I just called like thousands of people at the same time so it really um CRMs can really transform the way that people feel about and like my staff would get calls like oh the director called me like I really need to get on top of this and I was like oh this is working and wow um, that's like the best thing I've ever heard anyone say about a CRM like that is transformative it was great and then like they're also involved in different texts and you could you could subdivide based on the data to different text different things one of the things I heard uh in a meeting this week at one of the SUNYs that's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> the director actually said that um, in the meeting. He's like, we, we only do this because they're in the middle of nowhere is they send out emails and whoever doesn't respond, they'll look in the CRM and they'll find whoever didn't respond and they'll send them actual mail. So they're like saving money by only like working with those subsets of the population instead of like what I'm doing, sending everybody print, everybody email and like doing everything multi-channel. And I was like, that's just another way of looking at it that I never really thought about. Or if I'm on a really tight budget, I could do that. Yeah, that is great. I'm actually, I mean, I have, um, you know, I use MailChimp for my author stuff. And so, you know, that report that tells you 24 hours after you've sent a message, you 
56% of the Europe people haven't opened their mail. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to bug my friends, but it's just, that is an interesting way to use that data. Sometimes I um, see like how many people opened it and then it's like unique opens and it's like, wow, like 5,000 people opened it, but it's really like 10 people. And it, it's kind of funny to see that. Uh, final rapid fire. Do you know why and how to make a pivot table? Yes. And the reason why is because I was asked by, um, he's now vice president of my last college of how to do it. And he, he just, he had a computer science background and like could do everything in Excel in five seconds. And so he showed me and I would just drag different uh, columns to uh, different columns in the, in the pivot table and uh, just play with it and see what happened. <laughs> and I ended up getting to be pretty good at it where they could just throw different um, data points and I'd figure out where to put it. And I, and I, it really changed a lot of stuff for me. <laughs> like, wow, this is much easier. This does what it says it should be doing. And, and uh, it's like a whole new world. And if, you know, I could still probably take a few Excel classes even after all these years and learn more bells and whistles. Um, but yeah, but pivot tables was like a whole different eye-opening experience. Awesome. All right. So now we're into our final thoughts segment. So anything media, books, movies, shows, podcasts that you are loving and wanting to shout out right now. Yes. And I actually like have Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, his new book. As a fellow uh, Longhorn graduate, I, I picked it up and I was kind of skeptical. And he really um, just talked about his life and some of the experiences he had and, and why he's doing things. And um, and how he kind of got into acting and the goals he set for himself and uh, how he um, lost weight to uh, play the uh, gentleman on Dallas Buyers Club. And it was like, OK, this is pretty cool. Like, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be that intuitive. I know he's a very intelligent guy, but uh, I, I, it exceeded my expectation. Fascinating. I whenever anyone says his name to me, I like the first thing that comes to mind is he's just an odd duck like that. Like, that's how I think of him. Like intelligent but also sort of a blowhard sometimes but also like really good at what he does so that's a fascinating recommendation just one of the things in there was like he's like at one point i decided to be vegetarian eat iceberg lettuce with ketchup every night for dinner and uh i thought that was just really strange but i'm like okay whatever you know whatever works yeah odd duck odd duck um Anything you're working on or anything that you want people to know about social media handles, any causes that are important to you and that you're supporting through these weird times? So my, my social media handle on Twitter is at JPL for America. And it's, it was kind of funny because uh, people call me JPL my, by my initials. It's kind of like LBJ and it just kind of stuck. And so I just uh, played on that. And so um, I post a lot of things about sports, college admissions, um, any kind of like heartwarming other thing that I come across on Twitter, which um, some days there's more than others. But um, most of the time, I also try to joke around. There's a few um, funny uh, uh, things I retweet as well. And um I think uh, just causes. Um, I think just um, there's a couple uh, places uh, if you're going to donate. Uh, I like just uh, Jewish campus experiences. So uh, I'm on the board of Houston Hillel uh, for University of Houston and Rice University. And my wife is on the University of Florida Hillel board. Uh, and so we think those are great charities to donate to. That's awesome. I don't think I realized this. Were you JPL before you met SBB? Yes. And what's really funny is um, 
I don't know if you know. Clarify, SBB is your wife. She's always been SBB. And I sort of thought that JPL was a response to SBB, but now you're telling me that you were JPL pre-SBB and I need to hear more about this. It was mostly uh, some SDTs, uh, Sigma Delta Tau sorority members at University of Texas just started calling me JPL and it kind of stuck. And um, so it was in college and it was so much so like if I was home on spring break in college, the people would call the house and be like, oh, are you JPL's dad? Are you JPL's mom? Is JPL there? And, um, and it caught on with uh, just my family, my, my close friends. And so everyone called me JPL and uh, I met my wife and she's like, I go by SBB. And I was like, I go by JPL. And it was kind of like a contest to see who had it longer. And I think she did by a few years, but it's really just funny how, yeah, we were both just known by our initials. And, and even still, like people will send us um, mail that says JPL and SBB. And she um, kept her last name. So it's really the same. Um, and and our, our daughter is known as AHL. And so it's, yeah, it's, 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 it, we're into like initials and hashtags in our family. Yes. Yes. I've noticed that there are a few people in my life who call me JBC and they all decided that when I got married, that JBS didn't have the same ring. So they continued to call me JBC. And now in my professional life, I'm back to using my Cohen as my name. Um, just because I started publishing when I was Cohen. And so now that I'm publishing and married. So it's like I was JBC to a select few individuals that maintained it through my name change. But now I've come back around to them and they've all thanked me for that. So <laughs> my wife does kind of the same thing. She, she was published. And so she was, she's like, I made a reputation for myself in the professional world. And so I was like, and she thought it was a big issue. And I was like, it's fine. Keep your name. Like, it's not something that keeps me up nights. <laughs> it's interesting. I had a real journey with it because um, around the time that I got engaged, I got engaged, we were young. I mean, well, we weren't terribly young. We've been together since we were 22. I decided to take my husband's name specifically because around the time we got married, I just wasn't on good terms with a lot of people in my family. Also, Cohen isn't an original name. It was a name that was given to us uh, when my family came to this country. So I didn't have a real strong attachment to it. And I thought it was no big deal. And about two months before the wedding, I mentioned it to my brother and he was like, do I have to call you that? And I was like, well, I can't remember the last time you addressed me as Jamie Beth Cohen, but if you were thinking about it, yes, please address me now as Jamie Beth Schindler. He was the only one that had, he was the only one that was concerned about it. Then I started to realize that most people assumed I wasn't taking my husband's name, I guess, because they, as they see me as a feminist, but it was also um, for me, and this was years ago, sort of a commitment that I wanted my kids to have the same last name as me. And this was the easiest way to do it. And it's just so interesting that now that I'm publishing more, I've gone back to Cohen and we're juggling the whole thing anyway. And I kept my Beth because I, did, I thought it would be too much to be Jamie Beth Cohen Schindler. So I knew something had to go and I didn't wanna be Jamie Cohen Schindler. So I kept the Jamie Beth Cohen and now, again, because I'm publishing and people know this name more, I'm frequently referred to by people as Jamie Beth Cohen Schindler because like they don't know which to use. And I'm like, yeah, fine, whatever. So what's really funny about that is my sister's married name is Lisa Rubin and hit, 
her sister-in-law is also named Lisa Rubin. And one is a PhD and one's an MD. They've gone by their names. Um, and so they're kind of just known in the field. And it's weird that my brother-in-law has um, a wife the same name as his sister, but uh, it works and, and they kind of figure it out. So growing up, my mother and my aunt were both Susan Cohen. They married brother, two women named Susan married brothers. And we all went to the same pediatrician, all the, all the cousins. So it was like, which Susan, Susan Cohen's your mom? <laughs> Thanks. There are two Jeff Levines at my dentist and uh, we, they've canceled my appointment when I've showed up before. Like, oh, that's, this wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> so recently, for those of you who are Who Knows One fans, there was recently the Jamie Cohen episode, which I got to have a guest appearance on. And for me, so I went to a small all-girls school, kindergarten through 12th grade. By the time I was a junior, there were three Jamie Cohens. Two Jamie Beth Cohens who spelled Cohen differently and one and two Jamie Cohens who spelled Cohen the, the same way. So when I was a junior and you, listen, all girls high school is a high stress environment. When I was a junior, I thought I wasn't invited to one of my closest senior friends graduation parties. Well, it turned out that it had gone to one of the like fourth grade, the invitation had gone to a fourth grade Jamie Cohen, but they didn't call me to tell me. So if you can imagine like May at an all girls school, graduation parties, intense feelings and emotions. And here I am stewing because this woman who I thought was one of my closest friends didn't invite me to her graduation party. I have been mad at that Jamie Cohen's mother for like 30 years now because like Obviously, your fourth grader didn't get invited to a graduation party. Just open up the school directory and call the most obvious Jamie Cohen. I was sort of worried that one of those Jamie Cohens was going to be on the Jamie Cohen Who Knows One show and it was all going to explode, but that didn't happen. Well, I, I totally agree with you, too. That mom should have, like, moms are usually more proactive than that, for, in I, my experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm still mad about that because at one point I did get, like a, a, like, a birthday party invitation to a fourth grade birthday party. And I was like, mom, this isn't for me. Can you figure out? who's this is. And she did. So what's funny about Jamie Cohen, um, Micah reached out to me. Uh, I have a friend from BBYO and he was a fraternity brother named Jamie Cohen. And I thought he was going to be on the show. So he might've been like the next one um, uh, or that, or so, or another one they could have been brought in. So, um, and he's, he, um, he's a sex therapist. He has a, like a, a doctorate and uh, works at university of Houston. And uh, he also played uh, high school football for like, uh, one of the like Friday night lights type of schools. Yeah. And so he'd, he'd be a really good person to have on. And so hopefully um, yeah. he gets on soon. Oh, that would have been fun. Awesome. This is our last question. It is a question that you get to ask me about anything you want, spreadsheet related or not. So uh, how's your next uh, novel coming along? That's a great question. So, <laughs> so I have one novel out, Wasted Pretty. It's a young adult novel. In November, the sequel will be coming out. It's called Liminal Summer, and that is at the publisher. So I still have some edits to do, but I turned it in on time. When I turned it in, just about 10 days ago, I was supposed to focus my attention on the memoir that I've been working on. But instead, the very next day, I started a new novel. <laughs> So they're both, you know, coming along in their own ways. Um, I don't think I could ever write two novels at the same time, but I do like going back and forth between working on the memoir and working on another novel. 
So it's going fine. Thank you for asking. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, even though I shouldn't really be writing it at all, but that's fine. Um, thanks so much for taking time to talk to me. I know you have a super busy life and I love your family. I love following you all on social media and I just really can't wait till I can come back to New York City. I mean, I used to come like three, four times a year. It's a super easy uh, train ride or drive. And I was actually, I performed in New York City on March 9th, 2020. Wow. And that was the last time I was in town and I miss it. So I can't wait to come and give you all big fat hugs and kisses once we're all safe. Yeah, I got my first uh, vaccine appointment, so that's good. Uh, yeah, we're, we're happy to have you and, and have fun and, and uh, go out on the town when it's, we're able to do that. Yeah, I don't know if Sarah Beth told you the last time I saw her was in the middle of a snowstorm. So two Januarys ago, there was a horrible New York City snowstorm and we were supposed to have dinner at Joe Allen's with like 12 girls and everyone except Sarah Beth canceled. So we got to have dinner, just the two of us. It was awesome. It was probably better that way. I mean, I love my friends, don't let them, but it was, it was a really nice reconnection. So give my love to her and your pretty baby and thanks so much for uh, chatting with me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at column underscore pod. Special thanks to Nora Grace and Josiah for our theme song, Sam Schindler for editing and production, Nick Peterson for additional music, and you for listening. Have a great day.